Oh, good morning. Makes me start to tear up a little bit. Ah, because there is a generation, and there's havoc, havoc in your hearts. Hmm. So my name, uh, let's start a little bit soft, slower here. My name is Bonnie. <clears throat> my name is Bonnie. Um, the firecracker of a preacher that you heard this morning is my husband. And uh, we joke with our, we've been joking with our older children lately. They have two preachers for parents. And uh, breakfast time is when we, re- we open up the word and uh, read. We've been reading Second Samuel, which is just we have five sons, and so there's a lot of war in it, and their eyes are like, oh, my gosh. And for the younger ones, we're trying to make it a little more G-rated. We're like, and then Joab uh, killed the guy. <laughs> it's like he cut off his head and lifted it over the gate or whatever. Anyway, so we're trying to figure out how to teach the Bible. But then we're like, you know, if, you need to, if you're going to understand this, you need to understand this and this. Do you see Jesus? This is the atonement. And they're like, can we go? play outside now. Anyway, so um, Brian and I, we're, it's fun though. We've, um, yeah, well, you'll hear more from us this afternoon about our relationship and the journey that's brought us here. But thank you for having us here as, you know, just a part of the conference this weekend. We're grateful for that. Did, I don't remember, did I send in a picture of our kids to put up on the slide? I feel like that's really important. Oh, there we go. Oh, my head's cut off, but that's fine. <laughs> you can see my face here. So this is in the pumpkin patch. Micah's there on the right, leaning against me. And then Caleb's our four-year-old. Samuel, Haddon, and Charlie. Those are our treasures, greatest treasures. And, my, and I'm smiling. You know, that's my head. Oh, there we go. That's us, too. <laughs> we have a good time. Uh, all right, so this morning, yes, I want to talk about the link between me- mental health and sexual pain, sexuality. Uh, okay, let's, I'm just going to jump in. We're just going to go for it. Matthew chapter 24. Just a couple verses. Uh, do you ever, it's cool how when you read the Bible, so I've been a Christian for a long time. Uh, started, yeah, my parents took me to church ever since I was a little girl. And then, you know, you kind of like more and more of you get to awaken and you kind of rededicate your life. And then like a little bit later you get more awakened and you rededicate your life again. And so I've read the word a lot and, and I love how it still stays fresh and you can still learn so much from it. And you start to see themes as you get to know it. It's almost like a friend where you're like, wait a second, I saw something about that over here in the Old Testament or over here in this chapter. It feels like a theme, symbolic language. Um, so there's two verses that I want to link together for you. Matthew 24, verse 12. It says, so Jesus is talking about like kind of in the times to come, the, what the world is going to be like. And he says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love is going to grow cold. Okay. Let's go over to Ephesians. I, can, I have like a picture of memory so I can like picture where it is on the page. Okay, so it's four. I was like, it's either three or four. I know it's on this side though. Okay. Um, chapter four. We'll say 18 and 19. Talking again about, about people who are st- struggling in the darkness of the world. It says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. 
So I, I started to go, wait a second. So what you're saying is that there's going to come a time when there is lawlessness, so much lawlessness, which is like this throwing off of restraint, kind of an unrighteousness. I do whatever I want. I just self kind of, I take care of me, myself, and I. Because of lawlessness, the hearts of many will grow the the love, the hearts will grow cold. And because the hearts, and then it says in Ephesians 4, because the hearts grow cold, there will be this extra lawlessness. So it's like this vicious cycle of what happens to our heart increases our perpetu- or our, our desire or our, the weakness that gives in to impurity and sensuality. Sensuality, that's like the sexual immoralities, the things that we've been talking about this weekend. So we have this cycle of what happens in our heart sets us up for a greater struggle. And then that greater struggle and how we treat each other makes other people have a hard heart, which then sets them up. And so it's this vicious cycle. It's a cycle and there is a contagious nature to hard-heartedness. I did some... um, I did some study and some learning in developmental psychology actually changed my life, changed the way I read the Bible, changed, I realized like, Jesus, you're so smart. God, you're so smart. The way you wrote the Bible, you were speaking the language of developmental psychology. You knew what humanity needed in order to open their hearts up to you. So I was doing, I did this, this research, this study. Um, it was about a year long and slowly, because I'm a mom and, you know, I got to take, t- you know, little, little pockets of time to study. And this guy says, his name's Gordon Neufeld, I recommend any parents especially, his, pro- his um, content is phenomenal. And he said, we live in a tearless society, an epidemic of people who don't know how to cry, children who've forgotten how to cry, because to cry is to be vulnerable, to cry is to expose your weakness, And we all know that we're living in a lawless, wounding environment. So we have to close up our hearts. The problem, though, is that when we close up our hearts, because we're trying to protect ourselves from pain, that is real, we close up our hearts, we also now can't feel joy. We also now can't feel empathy. We also now, um, we can't release disappointment. And we get trapped. Anybody else ever felt, I wish I could cry right now because then I think I could feel better. Anyone else, anyone else ever cried so hard before that it feels like the smell in the air after rain? And you go, oh, can breathe again. We're living in a society of children, teenagers, young people, elderly who can't cry because it's too vulnerable So because of lawlessness, hearts grow cold. Because of cold hearts, we turn to sensuality, impurity with all kinds of greed. We need to feel in order to grow, in order to mature. We need our hearts intact. I was working at Starbucks. I was doing some writing about this topic, and I thought, let me interview the baristas here. Happened to be a whole bunch of females, and I happened to be writing an article for a female kind of organization. So I said, hey, I'm just writing an article wondering if I could ask you guys some questions. One at a time, if it's slow, come on over. Can I ask you questions? And these girls are like, yeah, sure. And I would say to them, this is about emotion, stuff like that. What, when was the last time you cried? And they said, some, almost all of them, it would either be like, I, mm, I don't remember. 
I don't know. I don't know the last time I cried. And then some of them would say, like, ah, maybe, like, you know, the last time I was on my cycle. It's probably the last time I cried. Which can I say, thank you, Jesus, for a time when our defenses come down and we have to get some of that emotion out. Because women with all that pent up inside would not be fun to be around. So don't see it as a negative thing. You're processing emotion. It's not bad. Um, anyway, so they would say either I don't remember or maybe on my last cycle. And then I would say, what do you think the culture's, what do you think the culture thinks of women who cry? And they said, Ugh. It's embarrassing, like they think it's like a sign of weakness. It's a sign of instability. It's a sign of, um, yeah, all the, you know, unsophisticated. We're, people don't know what to do with us. Anybody else ever felt, men or women, you feel like people don't know what to do with me when I cry. I went out with my uh, our pastor, um, Bonnie Burrows. We went out for a co- to a coffee shop. I was almost going to say, hey, can we meet at your house? Because I just had a feeling I was going to cry. But we didn't. We went to a coffee shop. And I literally, like, we were there for two hours. I think I didn't cry for 20 minutes of it. I'm just, like, crying. I'm just, like, wiping tears. Yep, this is what we do. But it's a cleaning feeling. But we live in a tearless society. And how beautiful that the Lord gives us opportunities in his presence with safe people to process what's gone, what's happened to us. I also started thinking about how in Scripture, we, can, we understand the parallels with maybe spiritual, um, you know, Jesus would heal the blind person. And, and we see that there's a spiritual blindness that we can have where we just don't see. We don't know what we don't see. Or a deafness where we can't hear. Or, a, or even a, um, where you can't speak. You've lost your voice and God has to return, restore your voice to you. And then I started thinking, what about leprosy? Leprosy, one of the biggest symptoms was that you stop feeling you would become numb to sensation. And so keep following me here. Is it possible that the Lord could restore your feelings? There there are probably people in here where you're thinking, I can't feel, I don't feel sorrow quite so deeply, but I also don't feel joy anymore. And I potentially, I also don't feel connection. I also don't feel, um, I don't feel empathy. Lisa said 30 to 40, 40 million babies are killed every year and I can't feel it. Why is that? Our love has grown cold. So, Lord, open up, like, heal me of the spiritual leprosy. Because when we, when we have a loss of empathy, then sexual desire is not wrong, but it gets reduced to lust. Whereas if you have sexual desire that's mixed with love, then, you're, then your desire becomes self, under self-control. Because you say, this desire... I. I have this desire, maybe, maybe you're in a relationship, I have a des- and you're not married. I have a desire for you, but I also have love, so I will control myself. But if we only are reduced down to our desire, then we're, there's no self-restraint. What if there's a loss of joy? What if you can't feel joy? You've numbed out your heart, your heart's hard. Now you become desperate for pleasure. Because it's like this momentary, I feel something, I feel something. We have a loss of connection where we could be in a room of people who claim to be our friends, but we know we're not known because we can't let anybody get close and we can't get close to them. So we have this like generational loneliness all the time, loneliness, lack of connection because we're not feeling anything. And we have a loss of sorrow. We numb out. We can't, and in doing so, we can't even repent. 
We're not even sorry. We can't even feel it. This is where I realized in scripture where it says, Lord, grant us repentance. And as you see in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, these prophets would say, open up your hearts, people. Go, yeah, you say the words with your mouth, but open up your hearts. This is what he's talking about. Because we numb out, because we've been hurt. So what are our, what are our, what's our answer? I think Jesus gave us the, the instructions, the things that we can do to start to get our hearts back. It starts with Ezekiel 36, this great promise, prophetic promise in the Old Testament of what Jesus would do for us. I'm going to try to find it here. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 28. <sighs> for those of you in here and you're thinking, I need my feelings back. I need my heart back. It may feel like by even opening that up, because there's stuff that happened to your, in your past, and when you talk about it to other people, they may think like, that was really traumatic. That was really intense. And you're like, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I don't really feel it. I've talked with so many young people. And I go, that was serious, what was done to you or, what was, or how you were uh, neglected. Like, that matters. And they're like, yeah, I guess so, whatever. But they can't feel it. And so by me talking about this stuff, you might even think, I don't know that I really want to feel that stuff. It's like the sorrow lasts for a night. Like it feels dark. But, but if we don't go through our sorrow, we don't get to joy. So, so you might feel like even the journey into opening up your heart is going to feel like you're on the edge of a dark forest and you have to go through the forest but you don't set up camp in the forest. When you face those feelings of fear or anxiety or trauma coming back to you, you're not, you're not gonna build your house in the forest. You're gonna, you're gonna journey through it. And I think, Jesus, this is what you said to us. You said, I'm gonna send you a helper and he is gonna be your comforter because you're gonna feel pain and he's gonna be your comforter and he's going to be your counselor on call 24-7. When you go, I am facing stuff here. I don't know how to get through this assault that happened to me. Or this molestation. Or this rape. Or this betrayal. And he's, I am your counselor. You ask me and I will give you wisdom. We will walk through this forest. We will come out on the other side. He says in Ezekiel 36. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove from you that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh that can feel. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So what comes first? Slavery? Beat yourself into, you know, like, I gotta do what's right, I gotta do what's right. He said, no, first your heart. Get your heart back. I will give you your heart back and I will be your safe place because in this world it is dark and it is a wounded environment. But I am your safe place and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And then I will guide you in, your, in my ways. I'll teach you how to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers and here, here, this is beautiful, how many times in scripture he says, and you're going to be mine, and I'm going to be yours. We will be together through this thing. 
Whenever he says that, he's speaking the language of connection. He's saying, I know what you need. My dear people, I will be your God. You will be my people. And so he gives us these, these things that we can do. I wrote it down somewhere. I wrote a few of them down. That are tools to keep our hearts soft in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of pain. We, I mean, we talked about it last night, forgiveness, where we face the thing and we start to process through the pain that was done to us and we have to forgive because it keeps our heart soft. It doesn't, it, it releases the perpetrator, the one who did the wrong to us, it releases them into the hands of God. And we don't try to have to, we don't have to play that role of judge. Oh, you can breathe again. You are free. We actually cry. We stop fighting the tears. Whether here in a room or after during worship or after worship or or at home. I don't know how many times. You know, I, I, it's like I feel it well up inside of me, either a pain or a fear or a disappointment. And we come to the presence of God and we release it out. And it's prayer to the Lord. It's, it's an offering to the Lord. It's saying, you're my safe place, God. I know that I can show you my heart and you won't reject me. So we express our sorrow. We praise beauty, like healthy beauty, actually protects us from the distortions of beauty. So things like music and art, things like poetry, it puts words to our emotion and we, and we find, find our hearts getting soft. And being in nature for some people, being, being surrounded by beauty and joy. So songs that reflect of God, songs, art, music, I already said music, but you know what I mean, instruments. Nature, things that are beautiful, being with people, good food, things that will keep us soft and rejoicing. And we pray that prayer that says, God, grant me repentance, that I could feel that my heart would be soft again. And I would realize maybe not just what's been done to me, but what I've done. Grant me repentance. And then a confession, the vulnerability, choosing the vulnerability with the community around you, people you know you can trust. I've never told anybody this, but I need to get this off my chest. Those type of hard choices start to get your heart back. How incredible that those were the commands Jesus gave to us. He said, I want you to keep your heart in this. I want you to keep your heart in this. A friend of ours named James up in Abbotsford, he, he said this quote, and I thought it was so incredible. He said, safe and healthy beauty saved me from porn. Safe and healthy connection saved me from porn. So we choose, we choose God's way, and it fills us so that we don't fall prey to the sensuality and the immorality, the impurity that we read about in Ephesians chapter 4. And then finally, I think, okay, so I said about leprosy, the spiritual leprosy. We can pray this prayer. Uh, it's recorded in three of the four Gospels, the story of the leper who came to Jesus. And it was this... In, that, in those times, if you had leprosy, because it was contagious, you were actually like, kind of like, you were under quarantine, pretty much. And so he came to, this leper 
came to Jesus and said, if you are willing, make me clean. And Jesus said, of course I'm willing. And so I think your prayer, if you have this sense of these um, emotions that are trapped where you're not feeling things, you say, if you're willing, Jesus. You need to know, though, that his heart will say, I am willing. I am willing. So that's another step that you can take to get your heart back. And then I want to, I just want to end with saying, actually two things. One of them is that, so just like those baristas I talked to at Starbucks, a bunch of, of women, they felt like they didn't have permission to cry about the things that were, the things that they were going through. And I think that one of the, a huge trouble that I see in our generation is that men even more so don't get to cry. And I, as a mother of five boys, I am concerned about that. And so maybe as a mother, I want to say to you who are in this room or watching a live stream, like men, fight to cry. Get your tears back. It said David had a heart after God, God honored him so much, even with all of his imperfections and failings. What was, what was David known for? His songs of great emotion. He found words for what was going on in his heart. And I think that men, and what I said about, like if we have empathy, then we have, you could have sexual desire but you don't lose your self-restraint because you remember that it's a person, that it's people around you. So I would, I would propose that part of our epidemic of pornography has to, do, has to do with men who haven't been able to process their pain. So finding other men around you and being real and not, that, that tears are not weakness. Tears are not weakness. Jesus modeled it for you. Don't fall for the, a male stereotype of, of what masculinity is. Let Jesus' example of masculinity shape you. And finally, as I was preparing, I felt like the Lord said to me that there are people here who you feel think that parts of your behavior is just connected to your personality. You're like, that's just kind of who I am, the way I've always been. This is the way I've, this is just how I am. But, I've, but I felt the Lord say, tell them that actually, it's actually just a, parts of your personality are a dysfunction because of a malfunction of your design. And that as the Lord heals you, as you walk through the dark forest of facing what's gone on in your past, whether it be something huge or something small, the thing that looms over you, as you walk through those things and find healing, you're going to find increased freedom in your personhood, in your personality. And you're going to be remade, a new creation. Uh, so as I close here, I just want to pray over you. And, uh, and then I'm going to... Um, call up my, my brother, Sean. He's going to come and bring a word too. Father, I pray for these sons and daughters in here. Just kids. God, we take off all the things that like the responsibilities and the roles and the who I think I'm supposed to be and all the activities that I do and we just take it all away and we just say, 
who was I as a little kid, where I just was a kid? I pray that even right now, you could just take off all the hats, all the responsibilities, and just go back down to who you are. Just Bonnie. God saw me when I was a four-year-old, five-year-old, trying to push my knee socks down because I hated wearing knee socks at church. I'm just pushing my socks down. God see, saw who you were as a little kid. And I pray, Father, just like that leper came and said, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus, your word to them is, oh, I'm willing. Be clean. So, Father, let it. And you said, I'll give you, I'll take that heart of stone from you. I'll put a heart of flesh in you. And then I'll teach you how to walk in my ways. So for those who are struggling, Father, to feel God, would you help them feel again? God, that they would go, yes, go through the sorrow of the night. But joy does come in the morning. God, and so I pray, Lord, even for those who maybe have already gone through that process of, of sorrow, Lord, would, it's morning time now. For some of you, it's morning time. It's time to start rejoicing and celebrating and laughing. And then for others, Lord, who are just maybe starting that process, Lord, you are, you are the bright and morning star. You're the star that shines, that says morning will come. Morning will come. We keep our eyes on you. I pray a blessing over every man and woman here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.